So Money Episode 261, Dan Macklin. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Happy Monday, everyone. Welcome back to So Money. I'm your host, Farnish Tarabi. A special episode today. I'm dedicating the entire show to all my student loan borrowers out there. I know you listen to this program. I know you're dedicated to getting ahead financially. And I also know that this is an extremely challenging issue. You know, overcoming student loan debt in this country is quite the task. We have more than $1.2 trillion in outstanding student loan debt, 40 million borrowers, and an average balance of about $29,000. But of course, you know someone or you are the someone who has six figures in student loan debt. What do you do? How do you come up with solutions to pay this off even while having a job and even while being gainfully employed? This is really a big part of our budget. So I've invited the co-founder and vice president at SoFi, Dan Macklin. SoFi is making a big name for itself as the alternative student loan refinancing marketplace. It is currently the second largest marketplace lender with over $3 billion in loans issued across student loan refinancing, mortgages, personal loans, and MBA loans. You may recognize Dan's name because he's also a thought leader whose perspectives on millennial and Gen X personal finance topics have been featured in a number of media outlets, including including ABC, Fox, CNBC, Fast Company, and even Italian Vogue. Prior to co-founding SoFi, Dan spent 12 years leading enterprise sales and product development at Standard Chartered Bank across London, Singapore, and Shanghai. Dan was born and raised in the UK, so he holds a Bachelor of Arts in Business Economics from the University of Durham in England. He also holds a graduate degree in management from Stanford School of Business, where he was a Sloan Fellow and co-founded SoFi there. Several takeaways from our conversation, how SoFi gets to refinance your student loans when other institutions can't. So where does the money to support your debt come from exactly? Who will probably not qualify for a SoFi loan? SoFi looks for a very particular profile in selecting its borrowers, its customers, and Dan's financial philosophy, get this, don't be an ostrich. Here is Dan Macklin. Dan Macklin, welcome to So Money. This is a real treat for our listeners, as I know many have reached out to me explicitly asking for more information about SoFi. So we have the man here, everybody. Welcome, Dan. Hey, Farnoosh. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. So SoFi is a it was a really a project that started out of graduate school for you at Stanford. And really appropriate because not only is that where many great startups are created, but because it was started in school where so many people accumulate debt. Sounds like this was born out of simply finding a need in the market where you were. Was Stanford your test market? It was. It was. We started at Stanford. This was back in 2010, 2011. I was the, uh, there for a year at the Graduate School of Business, having worked for about 12 years in banking. And I don't think it's any coincidence that the 
we launched what was then a student loan company in a place that is no different to anywhere else in the US, uh, university-wise, has lots of people with student debt. So it was a great place to uh, do the research and to check that, that the business was that we thought was viable. Um, but yes, uh, our first pilot was at Stanford, and, and we've grown from there. You're originally from the UK. Comparing the situation here, as far as student loans are concerned, the crisis that we're in, can you compare it to other countries that you've visited or are familiar with, or even from uh, compared to the UK? How bad is it in the states? So it is different here. People uh, borrow more money. Um, school is more expensive. Um, where I'm from in the UK. Uh, I'm just about, I'm closing in on 40 now. So uh, almost 20 years ago to the day I started um, at my university back in England and it was free. Uh, so all of my tuition was free. The only bits I had to pay for was my living expenses. It's changed slightly in the last uh, 20 years or so. Uh, it's changed in a fairly big way so that now in the UK you have to pay up to about 15,000 US dollars a year, um, which for folks in the UK, it seems like a really lot of money. But com if you compare it to some of the prices here in the US, it, it, it seems like a bit of a steal. So um, other places in Europe are still free. Uh, places around the world uh, are often provided by, by the government um, of those countries. So generally in the US, there's lots of uh, great colleges, but they're expensive. And, and as, a, as a result, people do borrow to go there. I want to dedicate some of our time together to learning more about SoFi and how it works. But one other question for you, Dan, since you're really entrenched in this world, you have a perspective that not a lot of us get to see. With respect to where we're headed with student loans, the landscape, it's a $1.2 trillion problem in this country. If there's a shoe that has to drop, wh whose shoe is it going to be? Do you see a day anytime soon where we will have the ability to dismiss student loans in a bankruptcy once again? Do you see a day when tuition is going to drop considerably or colleges uh, will no longer be allowing students to finance as much to attend? What's going to have to change, really? That's the big question I think that every is on everyone's minds. Yeah, I think there's a lot of issues there. So the $1.2 trillion is correct. That is how much student debt is out there. In itself, I don't think that number is a problem. Um, if people are borrowing responsibly and they're borrowing for uh, education that helps them then to get a career that can help them to pay that back. I think some of that $1.2 trillion is that. It's people that have borrowed sensibly. They've borrowed to fund um, uh, you know, a degree that makes sense for them. And then they get value out of it, out of their life, uh, out of their working lives. Obviously, there's a big element of that, that $1.2 trillion that isn't as good. And it's it's people having borrowed money and gone to schools, in many cases, um, dropped out before graduating and then they are left with that debt or they graduate and they simply don't get that return on that investment if you like that return on the cost of that that schooling that that really they should be getting but I do think there are a few issues it isn't simply around uh, interest rates and on the debt it's things around how do you get more people to make sure they graduate how do you reduce the cost of education are you know can technology play a role in that uh, I think all of those things can help then to to make less people have debt that they can't afford. But obviously the interest rates and, and how you treat people once they do have debt is a big, big part of that.
Right. I think one of the greatest challenges for borrowers, as you know, it's why you started SoFi, is that it's difficult to refinance as we often have loans that are federal and private. Traditional banks don't allow us to clump those two together to refinance typically. How does SoFi make this possible? And why has it taken so long for someone to wake up to this? <laughs> your site says, so, it can, uh, yeah, your site says it can uh, save borrowers about $14,000 this way. Yeah, we do. Our, our customers save on average fourteen thousand dollars when we started the company back in 2011 we honestly didn't really understand why nobody was doing this so we, we were the first company to refinance federal and private loans together and we just didn't understand why nobody was doing it and, and it almost was to the point where we thought well maybe we're missing something so we almost didn't start the company uh, but i'm glad we did because we're now helping people with on average around five or six different loans but sometimes people have got 10 20 or even you know 25 loans uh, you can consolidate those loans into one, but more importantly, you can refinance them at a rate that reflects who you are today. And typically, that rate today is better than the rate that you borrowed at. So that's how we're able to save people money by offering them lower interest rates. And where's the money coming from? It comes from a variety of places. It comes from, uh, in many cases, from individuals. So we have people who, you know, maybe more advanced in their careers and, and have some. Uh, uh, in, money to invest and, and they see this as a great way to invest. Uh, in addition to individuals, it comes from large and medium-sized financial institutions. So a number of banks, credit unions, pension funds, hedge funds, um, lots of different types of entities that that have money and want to invest in good things and, and see the SoFi member base as a very good way to invest their money. Interest rates are going to go higher starting this year, perhaps. So how is that going to change your offering? How is SoFi preparing for this shift in the interest rate market? So ever since we began SoFi four years ago, people have been talking about interest rates and, and it's a very relevant discussion because um, it, it affects what we do. Um, interest rates probably will go up. Most people think they will go up. I think most commentators don't think they will go up very much, but but, but you know, any rise is, is is somewhat new territory um, given where we've been for the last few years. Most of our customers on the student loan side um, are coming to us paying about 7 or 8% today uh, and then coming down to take a loan with SoFi at 3 4 or 5%. So there's a big gap there. So even if interest rates go up and force us as a company to charge slightly more than we do today, um, there's still enough of a gap between what we charge and what people are currently paying for it to be a good deal to them. So we don't think there will be very much uh, impact on us, um, not you know, at least until interest rates go up in, in a major, major way by many percentage points, which we don't foresee uh, in, the, in the near future. What makes you so excited and passionate about this? So a few things. I mean, I hate seeing inefficiencies just generally. Uh, that winds me up in you know everyday life, and and to see people who have gone to schools, they've worked hard, they've got their degrees, now they've graduated, and now they're working, and to still them see still paying um, the same rates that they took out five, six, seven years ago, uh, it just doesn't make any sense. So, so that inefficiency and that mispricing of that risk to me was something that that we should fix, and 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 that's a fairly clinical way of saying it. But when you actually I'm lucky enough to speak to many of our customers and meet them face to face. And the impact that we're having on people's lives is amazing. So we have many people that, like like you mentioned, are saving $14,000, but many of them are saving $20,000 or $30,000. And these are really life-changing amounts of money. And, and people now are 
able to um, be more confident about proposing to, 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 you know, a future spouse or having children or buying a house or things that, you know, just general financial and life milestones that people want to, to get to. But in many ways, student loans were holding them back. So that, that's what really makes me passionate and gets me out of bed every morning, knowing that we can help thousands of more people every single month um, to, to save big and then to do the, the more interesting things in life. Speaking of your customers, what are the eligibility requirements? I understand you have a kind of a unique approach to underwriting that seems to prefer those who are gainfully employed, young professionals. Who is your target market? So our target market is anybody that has student debt that um, has graduated and is now working. Uh, So if you are working and maybe you graduated just last year, maybe it was 10 years ago, maybe it was 20 years ago, whatever it is, if you have student debt now, but you're working today, then you could be a candidate for us. And we're a responsible lender. We only want to lend to people who can, can, can pay back. Um, and for that reason, we, we, you know, we have financial criteria that we will look at um, and we look for people with, with solid um, credit histories and a good financial record of paying their bills on time, um, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of it comes back to whether we think you can repay that loan. So um, some of it is forward looking. Um, it, we're not just backward looking that many of the, the, the traditional banks perhaps are, um, but it's a good mix and, and we're getting great feedback from it and it's allowing us to help many people. And so you might think that this can't be someone who has a lot of debt, but in fact, you do help, I've read, you've helped people with six figures in student loans and other types of debt. Oh, definitely. So our our average customer comes to us um, with $75,000, but you know, that's the average. So there's many people with more than that. And we help thousands of people every month with in six figures of debt. Uh, many of the people we help have more than $200,000 of debt. A smaller number, fortunately, but but still a big number, have more than $300,000 of debt. Actually, the largest I think that we've uh, provided is is to one person who had $850,000. That's one person. Wow. Um, so, and, and when so, it, it's not all just student loans either, because just to be clear, SoFi helps people with all types of debt, not just the student loan variety. Correct. I mean, the numbers I gave you there were just on the student loan side, but in the last year, SoFi has expanded to to now offer mortgages and to offer personal loans. So obviously, mortgages um, tend to be of a higher value. You know, homes in the US today uh, um, are at least six figures, if not seven figures, in many places. So, um, so we, we we've we expanded and we expanded because our customers were asking us for that. We. We asked our student loan refinancing customers, how else can we help you? And and being able to afford a home was number one. So that's why we introduced a mortgage product that only requires a 10% down payment with no mortgage insurance. Um, and many people also had expensive credit card debt. And we offered a personal loan that helps them to, to repay that credit card debt at a much, affordable, uh, much more affordable rate. I'm curious to learn more about your financial mindset, Dan. This show is often... Uh, all about our philosophies, our successes, our failures. As someone who has such a, uh, an illustrious financial background and business background, I'm curious to know if you have one, what is your overarching financial philosophy? I think if I, if I had to pin it down to one, I'd say don't be an ostrich. And that, that meaning don't stick your head in the sand and just hope that things will fix themselves because they won't. Um, and, and I see that a lot uh, in my day-to-day business here. There's lots of people that, if bringing it back to student loan refinancing, they know they've got 50000 or $70,000 of debt, 
but they almost don't want to think about it and don't want to admit it to themselves. So they just kind of make the payments and, and don't really think whether that's the best thing to do. But I think, you know, coming back to the philosophy, being aware of your situation and devoting just a small amount of time each week to getting your financial life in order uh, and keeping it that way can really be hugely beneficial to you. Um, so that, that I think that would be the, uh, the overall philosophy that I have. Right. I think there needs to be a degree of uh, self-accountability, um, feeling that you do have the wherewithal, the power, and the resources to, to change your life for the better. And when it comes to student loans, I think sometimes you feel trapped, especially in the United States. I can't refinance. I, you know, and if I can't get a job, it's just it just becomes this vicious cycle. So uh, I like what you're saying about that. When you grew up in the UK, what was your exposure to money? Can you share with us now a, a childhood memory about money that captures a bit of how you see the world today when it comes to money? Well, uh, yeah, um, I think, um, you know, from an early age, I, I, I was relatively organized. My, my, I, my dad on a Sunday afternoon would get his files out. And this was, you know, in the days before laptop. So it'd be pencil and paper, but he'd, he'd have all these different files for all these different things, you know, expenditures and different parts of the household budget. And, and I think that probably left um, somewhat of an imprint on me and that I, in a, I was relatively organized and I still have those files today. And um, it drives my wife crazy to some extent with all this paper in the house, but I'm still a bit old school in that respect. Um, and I, I think as a kid, I, you know, the first jobs I had, I would always put a percentage of it in a, in a savings jar and then use that for big purchases, you know, a new camera or whatever it was every every six months or a year. So I don't know if that's normal, but but maybe it's a slightly more organized than the average kid. Um, so I think that was my dad was a big influence on that. And perhaps it was in your DNA. It was your environment, but also uh, your nature as well. Maybe, yeah. Maybe I'm. I don't know too many kids that did. What fairly you did. <laughs> analytical. Yeah, I, I don't know how geeky I am. You have to ask other people. You're a big geek. That's but, what, it's okay though. Geeky is good. Geeky is very good. That's all right. I, I do like a nice smart filing system. That's for sure. <laughs> Let's talk about failure, Dan. You seem to have had a lot of success, um, academically successful, uh, entrepreneurially successful. But what is, if you may share, a, a failure that you experienced that you learned a tremendous amount from? Sure. I, I think that. Probably the biggest failure or biggest, uh, I guess, failure in finance is loss. So the biggest loss I made was uh, having too much of my stock, too much stock in my previous employer. So my previous employer um, was a public bank, Standard Charter Bank. It was a quoted bank in the UK. And I would get given shares every year, you know, for, for good performance, et cetera. And that was great. And the upside of that was, was, was wonderful while the price was going up. And then suddenly, of course, uh, 2008 happened and, and, and stock prices around the world um, collapsed, banking especially so. And um, I think I realized then that I should have had more diversification in my, in my holding because I had too much of my money tied up in one company that was also my employer, that I was also uh, exposed to in, in, you know, in, in other ways. Um, so that definitely taught me that, that don't have too much of one thing. Move your money around, have it diversified. Um, there's lots of index funds out there, et cetera, et cetera. And um, 2008 taught lots of people lots of things, but that was certainly one of the things that it taught me. Right. I was going to say it was a big learning lesson year for many of us, especially those who worked for Lehman Brothers 
And uh, we heard many stories from that collapse of people putting so much money in company stock. Because you know what? It just seemed like it was never going to go south. And then it did. And it crashed and burned. But uh, interesting that you say you you like and appreciate index funds. Is that something – is that kind of your your – your your modus operandi now when it comes to investing it is mostly yeah it's not exclusively that but i do think that it's very difficult for somebody who has a job and in my case has a family and has interests outside of these things that that it's very difficult to be on the ball 100% of the time picking stocks and buying and selling them at the same at the right times um almost impossible so i i do think that the majority of uh, most people's wealth should be in index funds just because then um, you know most of the decisioning is made for you the rebalancing happens automatically and then maybe there's one or two or three stocks that you particularly like and you can do that outside but but that should be more of a an optional extra and it shouldn't be you know the general modus operandi to do everything yourself correct I usually ask guests about their so money moment so we flip it we talk about failure but then we talk about success. For you, Dan, specifically, I'd be really curious to learn what was the so money moment in re- in relation to SoFi as you were bringing this to market. Was there a moment that you that is crystal clear in your mind that you thought this is going to work? Uh, because you sounded earlier like you had some hesitation that you maybe didn't weren't going to go through with this, but then you ultimately did, and ultimately now, of course, the you know the rest is history. What was the moment, the so money moment that you knew this was a great uh, company? I think that we've been lucky in that there's been lots of moments along the four years that we've been doing this that have got us to where we are now. And we've lent more than $4 billion, which is a huge amount of money. And we, we have more than 50,000 customers. So there have been many of those moments along the way. But if, if, if you know, you're asking me to pick one, and I think it would be the successful completion of that pilot at Stanford four years ago because during that or through that pilot we had 40 people investing their own money and we had a hundred people borrowing money and at that point we had proven even at some small scale that as a company we could convince people to invest and we could convince people to borrow from us and um those two things are very difficult uh, and many people have tried and many people have failed and to do both of them at the same time is especially tough but I think at that moment, we thought, okay, it's a small number of people, but we've proven something. And then really the last four years has been all about growing that and scaling that um, across different schools and across different um, geographies, et cetera, to the point now where we've helped you know, over 50,000 people um, to save uh, big, big money. I wonder what your competitors are learning from you. And by competitors, I mean the traditional banks, the financial institutions that aren't able to provide what you're providing, what lessons do you think they're learning? And if you have any examples, we'd love to hear that. Uh, I mean, I don't know exactly what they're learning. That's a question for them, perhaps more than me. But I, I, I'd like to think that that we are influencing the market in, 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 in many ways. I think, you know, we try to set ourselves apart from any competition out there in four ways. Um, product, we want to have the, the best product which in a loan sense is the lowest rate. Uh, second thing is experience. We need that to be easy, fast, and, and mostly online. People nowadays don't want to have to speak to somebody, but we provide that if you want it. Um, 
And that's the third point, you know, uh, service. Uh, we have a really, really energetic team uh, here in, in the heart of wine country in California um, who help people. I think service is a huge thing that is often underplayed um, in financial services. Um, and I'm hoping that we're influencing people there. And the final thing is community. We, we have a very different and radical view to how we um, treat our customers. We actually call them our members. And we, we have a variety of things like um, a career services team who work at SoFi. And all they do each and every day is help our members to find new jobs or to find better jobs. And a bunch of companies haven't done that in the past. They've never done that. And I think we're the only people doing that. So we've helped more than 120 people now to, to find new jobs. And that's good for them. It's good for us. Um, it's good for everyone. And I think that that all-round community approach is something that I'm sure the big banks and financial institutions are looking at and thinking, well, is it possible for us to adopt something like that? Absolutely. Let's hope. Let's only hope. Now, another question about your personal finances, Dan. What is a habit that you practice regularly that correlates directly with your financial success? Um, this is something I've been doing recently. Uh, being aware of the just the highest interest rates available for, for cash. Um, so I had been guilty of having... Um, you know, I think everybody should have a little bit of cash. You know, there's an emergency fund, et cetera, that you should have. Uh, but I just had it in my regular um, checking account, you know, earning basically zero, you know, cents of, of interest per, per month. And I, I suddenly realized that there was a much better way. And even though interest rates are low, you can get you can get above one percent now through many of these um, online savings accounts that take really zero effort to set up. Um, so that's that's something that I've now implemented and 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 the regular checking is making sure the account i've got is the one paying the most interest uh, because it doesn't make a massive difference on a monthly basis but if you add it up over the year and over the two years and the 10 years suddenly you're dealing with a much bigger sum so um there's some good tools out there uh magnifymoney.com is, is is one that i use personally that shows you uh all the different savings rates from all the different um, providers around the country. And then it provides very easy uh, buttons for you to click on and open an account very simply. So that's just one piece of advice to make sure your, your money is, is, you know, is, is working as hard as it can for you. That's a good point because I think especially now with rates so low, savings rates so low, we sort of think, oh, well, what's the difference between 0.5% and 0.3%? We just sort of leave it wherever it is, but you're, you make an absolutely correct point, which is that over time, those, uh, those decimals can make a big difference. Yeah. And, and it's not difficult to do. I think a lot of people get stuck, um, because they perceive that something's complicated and it's a hassle. But you know, if, if, if I said to you, would, uh, if I could, um, pay you $500 to, to do something that took you half an hour, would you do it? Most people would jump at the chance and do it. And then really, that's just another way to look at it. If, if I do this now, within a year or two or three years, it's worth X amount of money. And I think sometimes you have to frame it that way to motivate yourself to, to put the time and effort in to look into it You know, during a weekend when there's mm -hmm. probably more interesting things to do. All right. We're going to do some so money fill in the blanks now, Dan. This is the part where you uh, rapid fire answer well, you finish sentences that I begin, okay? Okay. Uh, the first is, if I won the lottery tomorrow, I'm not sh sure if you play the lottery. Um, I, I suspect you don't, but if- I, I don't. You don't. I don't know yeah. what it is. <laughs> yes, you know what it is. You know what happens when you win the lottery. You could win $100 million. If you won that amount, the first thing I would do is- 
Uh, go on a weekend with my wife, I think. And then work out what we do with the rest. You haven't taken a vacation in quite a while, I, I suspect. No, we have. We have. I, 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 uh, I come from Europe where you have more vacation generally than the US. So I think I'm a little bit more happy to, to take a few days off. I think it's healthy. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? Silly things like uh, getting shirts cleaned, shirts laundered. Um, I haven't always done that, but I think the time it saves me is, is it's a worthwhile expense. Yeah, and you got to look good. You, I suspect you go to a lot of meetings. <laughs> you have to do your best. You have to do your best. My biggest. I'm sitting here in a very nice fresh. Yeah, who are you wearing as we speak now, Dan? Well, this is um, um, this is a an English um, shirt maker called TM Lewin, and I just get four or five sent over. They they ship to the US, and I get them sent over every six months or so, and uh, and uh, it means I don't have to go to any other stores and, and work them out. So I'm very Traditional in that sense and maybe no. lazy is another way no. to say it. You know what you like. You know what works. When I find something that fits really well, is well tailored, even if it's a little bit more money, I might buy multiple of those because it just means that I will wear them. I think of clothing as a, a cost uh, per wear thing. I, I agree. Outside of these, everything else that I wear I think is bought to me by my wife. She's uh, she's much more advanced in uh, sartorial elegance, so she uh, she, she, she pushes <laughs> me in the right direction. She's a good woman. She is. My biggest splurge that's worth every penny is? Vacations, I think. We, we, my, I'm from the UK. My wife's from Colombia, South America. So our families are in different parts of the, the world. And, and we live here near San Francisco on the West Coast. Um, so any holiday, any vacation uh, is relatively expensive for us because often we're going back to see our parents uh, and our families. But I do not resent that one little bit. When I was younger, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is? Being aware of uh, all the jobs that are out there. I don't know that I knew all the careers that were out there. And I think um, your salary is a huge component of your financial health and well-being. And I think having better understanding of the potential jobs you could do is something is the key driver to to your financial future. When I donate, I like to give to blank because? I like to give to institutions that are accountable and that I think are going to, you know, be responsible with the money I'm giving them. Um, so I don't give to many institutions or cha- or, or, or nonprofits, but, but um, I, I, I concentrate it within a few that I, I know and trust. And last but not least, I'm Dan Macklin, co-founder of SoFi. I'm so money, so money, because? Because it's important. Uh, I think it forms a huge part of people's lives. It, to some extent, dictates how you can enjoy uh, your life. It shouldn't be the center of your life, but it is an important um, um, aspect of your life. So you should think about it. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Dan Macklin, co-founder of SoFi, and you're doing such important work. We really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing more about the company with us. I'm sure lots of listeners taking a lot of notes, checking out the transcript, heading over to somoneypodcast.com, and I encourage everyone to check out SoFi. Dan, thank you very, very much. Manoush, thank you. It's been great. 
that's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Dan Macklin or SoFi, the website is SOFI.com. Dan is on Twitter at Macklin Dan. We've got all this information at SoMoneyPodcast.com where you can also get the transcript and comments from this episode and all previous episodes. And I would love to hear from you, learn what's on your money mind while you're at the website. Click on Ask Farnoosh and send me your question every Friday. Now, I dedicate the show to answering your questions. We're five days a week now, no longer seven, but it's actually, you know what, less is more these days. Thanks so much for tuning in, and to my guest, Dan Macklin, I hope your day is so money. 